Hi! Welcome to What You Read and Do. It's Lauren, Lisa, and Jamie. This is our time to catch up and share what we've been reading and inspired by, hoping to stir some deeper conversations. No one person has time to read every book or listen to everything, but we figure this is a good way to trade ideas, expand our horizons, and maybe inspire you as well. Just a reminder, this is for us, this is for fun, and we are not experts. Enjoy! together first yeah, time yay. in a while we're in person we got to clap we got to clap <laughs> feeling good we yes. need more clapping <laughs> for those who don't know about podcasts we clap to you, start yeah. <laughs> you have to clap it's a requirement in order to line up all of our audio the more yes. you know <laughs> we've learned so much in the last <laughs> six months no, it's been basically than experts. Than that. It's like basically a year. Yeah. Wow. 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 Old. So anyway, it's February, Ooh. which means it's Black oh. History Month. It's February. It's like I was like, no, it's February. not. <laughs> yes, Ta-da. you're right. It's February. It's Black <laughs> History Month. And so we are dedicating this episode to Black voices topics for the black community and like black history i remember last year seeing a lot of like learning about black history is super important but we're also using this month for like celebrating like black people now influential people now yeah and black joy yeah black yeah and like history is live and happening constantly like the people who are currently living in our lives will be talked about in the history of the future you know so like let's just jump ahead and talk There's about so the present happening right now yeah. yeah it's exciting so I think we all picked mm-hmm. something that was either writ did we all pick a book yeah mine's a black author yeah so we all picked a book black that authors. was a black written yeah. by a black author so we will share what we learned yeah. <laughs> and you know disclaimer three white women you know but yeah so please excuse our ignorance where it comes up I guess I'm starting. Go, Jamie. Hi. My book I'm highlighting is called Saving Ruby King by Catherine Adele West. I'm going to have a hard time explaining it because it's a fiction book. It's kind of a murder mystery, but not really a murder mystery. And it's very, like, there's a lot of characters. It jumps back and forth between, like, within a chapter each chapter's three different characters like telling their part of the story so mm-hmm. it jumps back and forth between narrators but it also jumps back and forth between time between the 60s and present Ooh, so fun. it's going to be confusing as i'm explaining to you what's happening because there's a lot this. of people and i am going to walk through it in chronological order i'm not giving away any of the important things but Good. i stole the blurb off of goodreads cuz i thought it very adequately summed up the plot of the book so it says set in the south side of chicago an epic enthralling story of a young woman determined to protect her best friend while a long buried secret threatens to unravel both their families dun 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 that's basically what it's about so it's like at the beginning there is a murder and it is like a little bit of a mystery about like who murdered her but it's not actually like really about that um so like i said it kind of jumps back and forth between p 
people and also time, which I really love. I'm a big jumping back and forth between yeah that's i think that's one of my favorite kinds of fiction books it really just because you have to constantly be like i don't know it just keeps pulling you in every time you switch narrators like you don't get too comfortable you don't get too lax i don't know so okay i'm going to walk you through the plot please which i really enjoy and like i said i'm doing it chronologically so it makes a lot more sense but it's actually kind of confusing i was trying to like write it chronologically and I was like I can't do this somehow it was like more confusing to understand it chronologically than it was jumping around in the book Uh in my brain so apologies but I did really love the book I'm only going to talk about things like within the first half of the book so nothing that I'm telling you is going to give anything away great okay we're not about spoilers here especially for fiction books that i like if i hated it i would tell you the ending but (laughs) let me tell you (laughs) Um, don't read this (laughs) okay the first chronological part of the story happens in the 1960s in the south side of chicago and it's about three young women and their names are sarah naomi and violet Mm -hmm. okay they're all best friends Sarah's mom died when she, I think, was like 10 or 11 years old. And her father is the head pastor of a church. And they call him King Saul. And everyone loves King Saul. He's like super hot. He's got these like amazing like green eyes and this light like caramel colored skin. And everyone is like super in love with him. (laughs) Yep. But once Sarah's mom died, King Saul quickly begins raping Sarah every night. The friends, Naomi and Violet, are, like, suspicious. They're like, clearly something is going on with Sarah. Can't really figure out what, but, like, every now and then they'll, like, catch, like, glances that Saul gives Sarah or he'll, like, wrap his arm around her waist. And they're Mm. like, that's kind of weird, but they don't know for certain, but, like, they, they're they suspicious. They don't really know what to do, though, because everyone loves him. He's the head pastor of their church. You know, like, no one would believe them. Eventually, Sarah does tell them when, I think she was, like, 19, she gets pregnant with his child. So she eventually, like, confesses to her friends, and they devise a plan to, like, break her out of her house and, like, get her away from her father. But he finds out and, like, interrupts the plan and is, like, I think strangling Sarah. Naomi was in the room, like, helping her. And in the process, he, like, to get to Sarah, he hit Naomi. A glass table fell and broke in a bunch of shards. And then Naomi grabbed one of the glass shards and stabbed him and killed him. So none of that is a spoiler. That happens pretty Pretty (laughs) early. A lot of this happens. A lot happens at the beginning part of the book. So you can only imagine how great the second half was. So she kills Saul. They like stage it to look like it was a burglary because he had a bunch of money and like rings and stuff. So they stole all that. Sarah and Naomi then moved to Memphis. Sarah eventually comes back to the south side of Chicago. Naomi stays in Memphis. That's where their storyline ends. Hmm. Hmm. Next, we have a storyline that is not really a part of the book. The book really just flashes between the 60s and present day. But within that, you get the story of this middle period. So I just wrote down the 80s because I was like, what's between 60s and now? Like, I don't know. (laughs) So in the 80s, Sarah has her son named Lebanon. Violet, who was her other friend, 
her father then becomes the head pastor because he was the junior pastor at the church. Violet gets married to another guy who's like, I think he becomes the junior pastor. So it's just a long line of religious people. And then her and her husband have a son named Jackson. Okay. So Sarah, with all that she suffered, turns out slash turns into a super abusive mom, like beats Lebanon all the time, doesn't really feed him, doesn't take care of him. Just, yeah, really abusive. Nothing sexual like her father did to her, but like very physically abusive. Once she moved back to Chicago, her son, Lebanon, becomes best friends with Jackson. So it's still like within the same friend group. And Jackson's family like tries to protect him, tries to take care of him as much as they can because they understand, like they know what's happening at his house. But at the same time, Violet understands what happened to Sarah and what made her be that way. So they're both protective of Sarah and Lebanon. So they're not like turning her in for being an abusive mom in any way. They're just kind of trying to shield the son while they can. Mm -hmm. Lebanon eventually grows up, kills someone, goes to jail because he just like beats someone to death. So I think he pled to involuntary manslaughter and serves like five years in jail, gets out of jail, has a super hard life. Jackson grows up, takes his father's steps, becomes the head pastor of the church. That's the middle part of the story Hmm. that we never really see because we hit to present day. Lebanon's a father now. He's married to Alice. Alice is Naomi's daughter. Okay. So it's all still within the same friend group. They're all, all the children are fucking each other slash best friends (laughs) with each other, basically. Wow. Okay. Lebanon is super abusive to his wife, Alice, and occasionally his daughter, Ruby. Okay? Jackson now has a daughter named Layla. Layla and Ruby are best friends. So Mm -hmm. all these people are still, you know, best friends with the same best friend, friend, family tree. Mm -hmm. The book opens with Alice turning up dead. She was shot. Everyone thinks it was Lebanon. He's the abusive husband. No one has any proof. So that's kind of where, like... Who killed Alice? But also everyone thinks it's Lebanon. Was it Lebanon? Ruby now is alone with her abusive dad. So she like basically says like her mom, who is usually there to protect her, isn't there anymore. So she decides to run away. Hmm. Layla, the pastor's daughter, kind of like hates her dad. Hates everyone basically for covering up Lebanon's abuse over the years. Because they are like this church family and basically everyone knew that Alice and Ruby were being smacked around. No one did anything about it. So she's mad at everyone. And a few years earlier, Ruby tried to kill herself and Layla, when Ruby runs away, Layla's terrified that Ruby's going to kill herself. So Layla chases after Ruby. That's where it leads to the saving Ruby. No one knows where she went. Where did she go? Who killed her mom? We don't know. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> the end of the first half of the book. I feel like I need a flow chart. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's exhausting. Who are we talking wow. about? Wow. It so sounds... there's a lot of people, um, like I said, and a lot of storylines, but they're all kind of interconnected. That's really good. In ways. Oh, it's so good. I, yeah, I was hooked, but really like I wrote down the main themes of the book. Hell yeah. If you couldn't figure them out for yourself through my Murder. Um, <laughs> abuse. <laughs> abuse. Really the big one is generational trauma. Because mm-hmm. you see each family, because there's kind of two main family lines, each in their own way has all this generational trauma. There's the one who 
you know, Sarah was raped by her father, then abuses Lebanon, then Lebanon goes on to abuse his wife and mm-hmm. his child. Then there's the family where her dad was the head pastor, she marries the next head pastor, her son is the head pastor, the daughter is this perfect, like, well-put-together, perfect daughter. So there's, like, definitely a big juxtaposition and a lot of talk about generational trauma. That's not... Do you think the book portrays the family line that's kind of, like, head pastor after head pastor in, like, a a clear good versus evil? No. Okay, so they're kind of hitting on, like... There's still trauma here, but it's in a different light. Yes. Okay. So I, a lot of the trauma, there's definitely trauma and they kind of step around the trauma and they really bring it through Layla's eyes, who's the daughter. So her father, because he used to be best friends with Lebanon, like kind of shoves everything, you know, out of the way, is still trying to protect Lebanon, doesn't want him to get in trouble, even though he's continuously beating his wife and daughter. And there's other things that's, like, mysteriously alluded to about, like, their past and something that happened in the past that, like, keeps them together. Even though they're very different people, they are no longer friends. I have a quote here, actually. It says, more things than love bind people together. Secrets and lies make just as a hearty bond as love. So that's basically, like, one of the main themes of the book is a lot of these people don't love each other anymore. They're not best friends anymore, but they have secrets. They have lies that bond them together. Mm. Layla is suffering in her own way she feels growing up in this church it's a very hypocritical place she's very critical of her father of her mother there's definitely she talks a lot about code switching Mm -hmm. because she went to like a really good school she was always like top of her class everyone always commented on how smart she was she went to this I can't I don't know if they ever specified what school but she went to a really good school where she had a lot of white friends and impressed her white professors and then now she has this nice corporate job where she's you know the classic working twice as hard to get half as much Mm -hmm. so she's constantly like battling with the hypocrisy of everything Mm -hmm. so I would not say and she does not get along with her family so I wouldn't say they like show her family in a better light yeah it's just a much less abusive light Mm mm-hmm do you feel like it highlights like a repressive nature for that family? Or? There's definitely a lot of obligations. Her father yeah. always brings up the obligations. Other than that, I wouldn't say repressive. I think they were like in their mid-20s during their part of the book. And they were both still living with their families, which I thought was interesting. But they never really talk about drugs, alcohol, anything like that. And she does have a boyfriend that she like semi-hides from her father. But they never really talk about why. At one point, he they are in a fight, and he does say some, like, call her a whore or something, and it's just kind of like a weird place, like, wait, what? <laughs> and then she's like, well, I'd rather be, she's with her boyfriend, who's like a really nice army vet who, like, helps out at the church, and she's like, well, I'd rather be his whore than your daughter, and that was, like, a whole Whoa. thing, and I was like, I remember that line a lot, <laughs> because it was just so jarring, like, they never really talk about sex, drugs, or alcohol, mm-hmm. so from that side of things. There's clearly some weird repression going on with her relationship, but I don't know. Gotcha. Otherwise, yeah. it would be. Sounds yeah, that's interesting. Ooh, I got a quote. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Generational trauma. I thought this was a beautiful quote for people because I feel like we, maybe I could be wrong. I think we all deal with generational trauma. At least I know my family on both mm-hmm. sides is still very mm-hmm. much dealing yeah. with generational trauma. So I figure everyone else is. <laughs> yeah. Whether they know it or not. <laughs> yeah, it's that's, there. Yeah. It's yeah. there. You can, um, once you look for it, you'll find it. So yeah, a good quote that I thought 
kind of helped explain for maybe those who aren't quite well aware of what generational trauma is, is so Jackson, this is like in his thoughts, Jackson's the head pastor. So he says, and though mom tried to spare Lebanon the pain of his true parentage, though Sarah in her own toxic way tried to drown her memories in liquor, though Miss Naomi remained the sweetest soul somehow, all their children wound up continuing their dysfunction, reliving their sins, and now to their grandchildren are paying the price. Mm. yeah mm. yeah generational trauma man yeah i think that's one of the reasons i like books that have multiple timelines with like family stuff is it really hits home that generational trauma like if that's a theme of the book that's mm-hmm. like a way to do it yeah <laughs> it is throughout and you can really see it so that i think is basically the big theme of the book then there's the abuse it's kind of interesting so we get sarah's side as she's suffering abuse at the hands of her father. Then we get Sarah's side as she's abusing her son. Then we get her son being abused. Hmm. Then we get him abusing his wife and his daughter, like him from that point of view. And then finally we get his daughter's point of view of like him mm-hmm. as she's being abused. So it's like this weird, we get like everything from both the abuser and the abused mm-hmm. kind of point of view. So it's really interesting, especially because you don't, I feel like you don't see a lot from the abuser's point of view. So it definitely was interesting to read. And I, you know, abuse begets abuse. That's not a secret anywhere. So I get it. You don't feel, I don't know, it's hard because it jumps back and forth in time too. So I both like feel bad for Lebanon because you're reading some of these things that his mom did to him when he was like a four-year-old and you feel awful. And then you're jumping to him doing similar things to his daughter. And it's just like. Yeah. yeah 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 it's just a constant reminder that like you're not what has happened to you like you have the ability to stop it yeah what am i trying to say but at the same time you learn like you are a product of mm-hmm. what you've been raised with too yeah. like Definitely. what you're hitting on is like you have the choice and the responsibility to kind of learn from it and grow right. outside of it but it also goes to show how someone who is raised in an abusive environment can then become abusive yeah. because like they that's might not, how they know love exactly they know? might not see the option to yeah. not then abuse them. yeah yeah or maybe even not realize what's happening until it's happened you know like mm-hmm. like if you're in a re- uh, a familial relationship where someone has like a lot of control over you you may not realize like you trying to seek out that control in somebody else until you're kind of way into it you know what i mean you're not seeing the pattern because you are in the story yeah exactly yeah Yeah. it also brings up that tricky like feeling of empathy for someone who also is kind of horrible like people are just so complex and you can feel like sorry for where they came from and also like despise like mm-hmm. what they're doing. Yeah. Right, which I think is like a clear distinction I've heard in psychology between an action that someone is exhibiting and them. You know, yeah. like when people talk about like I'm selfish and it's like you're not selfish. You are acting in a selfish manner, yes. but you're not <laughs> selfish. And like it's hard to disconnect those, you know, because you're like you are a person that is acting abusively towards me, but like you are still a person that can change behavior and learn, a, yeah. you know, but. And like, <laughs> I understand why you're doing this, but it still doesn't make it okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, that's hard though. When you then work in like 
loving people, you know, and like, it's so easy to, I don't think enablers the right role, but when you just kind of try to work around the abuse, you know, whether you're someone that's receiving it or you're seeing it, but you're like, oh, but I, I love this person or this person is, you know, great to the community in all these ways. So like, mm-hmm. how can I try to handle this while keeping it hush hush, you know, like mm-hmm. it sounds icky as an outsider, but it, oh, it's yeah. so easy to understand. Oh, why I mean, people every single person it, in know? this book was doing that. At it's some so complicating that. Yeah. Well, and there's that concept I can't remember the name off the top of my head where if something happens, like if someone is screaming on the street, everyone thinks that someone else oh, is going to call the cops. Bystander mm-hmm. effects? Or, yeah, something effect, like that. Yeah, bystander Where it's like every, like that was inadvertently, you know, brought up a few times in this book where it's like, okay, like, well, I'm not doing something because Leba- I know what Lebanon went through and he used to be my best friend, but you know, this other person at church knows what's happening, so maybe they'll do something about mm-hmm. it. Whereas, like, every single person has that same thought, well, well, it's not my place, someone else will deal with it. Yeah. And yeah. it just ends up knowing no one deals with it. It's yeah. so real. Fear of stirring the pot, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Or feeling like I'm also not blameless. Like, if I call this person out, they could just turn around and be like, well, you're doing all this shit that's totally. bad, too. Exactly. And it's like, oh, well, I'm just not going to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Well, and if if you bring something up and no one else seconds you, yeah. it's really easy to just turn it onto like, let me squash this individual person. Yes. You know? Definitely. Yeah, you get in the crosshairs. But damn. Woof. Yeah, yeah. That's that quite like the book. Ends up like a lot of book. heavy themes. Yeah. I'm kinda glad really you're like love sharing it. it and maybe I don't have to read it. <laughs> like I can tell you what happens at the end later. That sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> on a different note. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, so I read Issa Rae's memoir, autobiography, whatever you call it, called <laughs> The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl, which is named after her YouTube series, which I just recently learned that that's how she got her start, which oh, is really yeah. cool. It was great. Yay! So <laughs> if you don't know Issa Rae, she co-wrote and stars in Insecure on HBO, which mm-hmm. we all are obsessed Love with. We talk can about talk about time. that in a little bit. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, her story is kind of incredible. And it's it was really cool to kind of read more about her background. So I kind of wrote down like a little bit more about her background for anyone who doesn't like know the whole timeline. Her full name is Joe Issa Rae Jopp. She was born in L.A. Her dad is from Senegal and her mom is from Louisiana. And they moved to Senegal when she was pretty young. So, like, kind of a constant theme in her life is not fully feeling like she fits in, like, wherever Mm -hmm. she is. So she, like, lived in Senegal for a couple years in her early life. Then they moved to Maryland. And in, in, like, middle school, they moved to L.A., so kind of like oh damn full like culture shifts um, <laughs> yeah. in Maryland like so in her like elementary middle school years she went to a primarily like white school and then moved to LA in middle school and high school and everyone in LA was like you're so white for a black mm. girl so she like a constant theme like I said is like she kind of never feels like she fully fits in where she is which is totally apparent oh, yeah, <laughs> in she like. W- 
was in Potomac. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Cut you off. I totally, oh, yeah. I wrote that area. down. Potomac, which yeah. you would know better than mm-hmm. I like. That's what? a very white area. It's a very wealthy area. It's very nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming that they moved there because her dad's a doctor, oh, yeah. pediatrician. So I think they moved there for him to open a practice. That's a good move. But I could totally see why when she moved to L.A., they were like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she got like a lot of comments. She writes about this. Like, you're so white for a black girl. And like calling her oreo and stuff like that so mm-hmm. sorry uh, anyway wow yeah <laughs> she went to stanford which is yeah, girl. wow girl like, i know amazing. impressive <laughs> i was just watching her hot ones interview which is from 2018 so it's a couple years old but stanford comes up and she was like she was saying something about it and she's like i didn't even apply there but i like went to the admissions day or something what? she was like sold on it i'm like okay what <laughs> Like, she was not interested, didn't apply, didn't want to go there. Anyway. What (laughs) happened? (laughs) She just loved it when she went to, like, admin day. And I don't know if she got, she, like, applied late or they were just like, you can come. Like, I want to hear that. Wow. Okay. (laughs) That's very impressive. She's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. She started, like, a little YouTube series in college. I forget what it was called. Wasn't it the misadventures? Or no, when, that one comes oh, later. Wasn't it like the diary of an awkward black girl? Or, mm, we'll have to look that. it up. It has specifically to do with like being awkward in college. After college, she moved to New York City to pursue theater. That wasn't really working out for her, <laughs> as for many people in New York City, <laughs> and ends up moving back to L.A. And that's like right when her misadventures of an awkward black okay. girl YouTube like took off. Mm. And she was, like, in the middle of trying to figure out if she wanted to go to, like, law school or some shit. Wow. Like, this YouTube channel, like, took off and, like, obviously the rest is history. Wow. I didn't realize that Pharrell, Mm -hmm. like, picked up her YouTube channel in the second season and, like, produced it or something. (laughs) So that's how she kind of got, like, so much, you know, recognition. And then Insecure obviously came after that. Insecure is so good, guys. So good. <laughs> so good. She's just went crying into the microphone. <laughs> she's just so good at like I watched the first episode of her like YouTube and even that was like so good. She's just so good at conveying like how awkward it is to be a human mm-hmm. like, and function in daily life. <laughs> like the first episode was about how awkward it is when you're like driving and you keep like catching the same driver like in the car <laughs> next to you and it's like how many times can we like acknowledge each other before it just gets to be too much <laughs> it was hilarious she's just such a funny comedian i wish that i had listened to this on audiobook instead of read it mm. i think Ooh, her nice. like her voice comes through definitely through written word and because i know her voice so well i can like read it in her voice mm-hmm. but i think it would have been really good as an audiobook it's Ooh. also cool like really short i read it super fast and the words on the page were really large hell yeah <laughs> big spaces <Easy> <laughs> <read>. <laughs> was right. like, yeah. Thanks, it was good yeah it was really good it was written in 2015, so it's been out for a couple years. Yeah, a couple themes. Like, it's obviously about her life, like, growing up, being awkward, like, awkward dating scenarios. Like, mm. a lot of it was really relatable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's also some really good, like, educational chapters. Hey. Like, <laughs> different types of black people, which was mm. really mm-hmm. kind of funny to read about and, like, how to encounter them. So there's, like, 
one is like the awkward black and it says you are here (laughs) to approach them see entire book um there's the basic black so just like a regular black the hustling black the insecure black the know-it-all black like it was just so interesting as like an outsider Mm -hmm. to read about obviously like I know that there are many different types of black, just I know there are many different types of women. There are many different types of, like, other ethnicities. But it was fun to, like, read it from her perspective. Totally. And then she she writes when she got to Stanford. She's, like, talking about diversity in the black community. And she said, Stanford really opened my eyes to how diverse we are as a people. And it's so refreshing to witness. And that's, like, I think when she came up with this kind of chapter, she's like, there are so many different kinds <laughs> of us. Like, I don't have to be one kind of black person. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of cool to see her, like, really settle into who she is as a person. And I think that's when the, like, awkward black girl became a thing. She's like, it's so weird, like, being awkward, like, trying to be, like, all these different other kind yeah. of blacks and... Or even, like, like, floating between being black and not black. Yeah. Where, like, it depends on your social situation, what you're going to do. Like, code switching. Code switching. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And she's, like, she writes in here, like, she finally realized, like, I can just be the awkward black girl. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, great. And she, like, freaking made a whole YouTube series about it. And the rest was history. Mm -hmm. It was really good. There's some other good chapters, like she writes about like the black woman's hair, which mm. we've been hearing a lot about recently, like Chelsea on The Bachelor. <laughs> She's the one who shaved her head. Like how much hair means there's a lot of identity wrapped mm-hmm. up in hair for black women. And that's, it's just so interesting to read about. And then kind of, it's cool to like, she had a liberating moment where she's like, you know, I'm tired of like putting all these different like personas on with my hair and my weaves mm. and my wigs and all this. She mm-hmm. just like shaved her head. It's like, that sounds so liberating yeah. and cool. There's a movie on Netflix. Really good movie. And it's about, it is about a, a black woman who ends up falling for a white guy in like the various mm. social situations and cultural differences that they go through. But I think like the chapters of the movie are actually segmented by her hairstyle. And I think she has a similar liberating yeah. moment. Napoli ever after instead of happily ever yeah. after. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think like her. Well, okay. I don't want to like spoil the mo- movement. But right. she has like a yeah. similar. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of. It's cool to see like an insecure like different characters will change their hairstyles. And it's kind of cool to yeah. see like they're different like progressions of being a human like it's it is totally like a way to express yourself in style but yeah. it also i can totally imagine it feels like a burden there's a also. really good this is what i thought you were talking about hmm. and then i realized you were not <laughs> this one's on hulu mm-hmm. it's called bad hair and it's like a satire slash horror movie and it's about like I oh. think it's set in the 80s yeah in the late 80s an ambitious young black woman like goes and gets a weave Mm because she gets like a high power job and then like i don't want to spoil it too much like the weave like it's from the 80s we've had our time (laughs) oh no it's from 2020 (laughs) oh i thought you said it was from the 80s it's set in the 80s sorry yeah it came out last year um but then the weave like kind of like takes over it's like a whole thing so it's about like yeah that feels like solid symbolism yeah Yeah. it's Hmm. really good that does sound good. It's yeah. like not, it's like a quote unquote horror movie where it's like, ah, but like you're actually kind of like laughing at the scene. It's yeah. not, you know, it's kind of like one of the funny horror movies. Oh, 
But I, I hear you with Insecure, too. I think the character Molly, like, really shows that the most. And, yeah. you know, I know on shows and movies, like, hair and clothing is used to kind of symbolize different progressions. But, yeah, she feels like she has such clear kind of chapters. And it really yeah. shows where she is in her personal growth. You Definitely. Know? Yeah. 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 I love that. But yeah, it's cool. Some other themes. There's a lot with, like, her dating life. She talks about, like, her parents going through a divorce, which is pretty tumultuous. Mm -hmm. She has four siblings. And it, I think they got divorced when she was in high school. And, like, from then on, she's like, I'm never getting married. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no point. You know, mm -hmm. that whole drama. And then, spoiler, since she wrote the book, she has gotten married. What? I was looking at photos, and they are gorgeous oh, oh my gosh and she got married in 2021 so recently she is a stunning human being oh yes yes <laughs> at the end one of the last chapters she's talking about how like she has like no style she's always like really struggled with style and like moving to LA was like a big wake-up call to her about like you know not shopping at TJ Maxx for clothes and stuff oh, and I'm like I never gathered that from her she seems so cool and stylish to me. I know. <laughs> but it's also really refreshing to hear that, too. Um, yeah. Because oh, you definitely. You know, you see people when, like, in our eyes, they've made it. Whether, yeah. You know, they're definitely. still, like, growing. But, like, they've reached a certain point. You're like, wow, you have it all together. And it's like, please, I was shopping in TJ Maxx, like, last year slash went last <laughs> yeah. weekend. Don't worry. I'm like, <laughs> awkward who? Like, you are stunning yes. and seem yeah. so confident and so stylish and stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess there is some, like, awkward part of all of us that's still there, like, no matter what we look like. Yeah. How far we made it. But embracing it is such a huge step, you know? Yeah. She's cool. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm the best friend like Issa. <laughs> A moment that, like, really touched me at the end. I just read this. She was like, so obviously memoirs, like, it wasn't a linear timeline. It, like, jumps all over the place, which makes it good. And the chapters are kind of topical-based. Mm -hmm. At the end, she's talking about living in New York. And she gets, like, robbed at some point. Like, someone got into her apartment and, like, stole everything of hers. Like, laptops cameras like everything she, mm -hmm. like basically all the stuff that she had been working towards and she like travels to LA for her, her cousin's graduation and like things in her life have been like super hard in New York we've mm -hmm. all been there it's just like why is like it feels like life is like out to get me right now mm. and someone says or her cousin tells her Joe Issa why are you still in New York and she says what do you mean her cousin says you got robbed. You're broke. It's like you're willingly struggling for no reason. She continued, everyone you know is in Los Angeles. You should just come home. We could do so much together. I thought about it for a minute. I can't just get up and leave. They laughed. Why not? The question haunted me. What was really keeping me there? It wasn't like I had a husband and kids I was tied to or an amazing high-paying job. Why was I there? I was young, and I didn't have to be tied to one place. And then that's, like, when she decided just to move back to L.A. And, like, everything started for her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, it's just so crazy to think, like, sometimes life is really super hard and you're supposed to push through. And sometimes it's, like, why am I trying so hard when, like, I could just go yeah. to L.A.? I don't know. I just liked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, that excerpt really speaks to it's me. It's really yeah. hard. Like, yeah. it's really hard to to distinguish, I think, personally, like, 
when is enough and enough and like I've been trying too hard for something that's just not happening for me Mm, preach (laughs) but yeah but then sometimes you just need someone to be like you know you don't have to do it the hard way like you can just come home yeah Yeah. or like be where the all the people you love are I think also location doesn't indicate success you know like now granted she moved back to LA which is still like yeah in many people's eyes like a, a city you move to when you're trying to make it big Definitely. you know yeah but you can have success in a number of places and it's I don't know it's hard to live that but intellectually I know it's true you know and sometimes like going home or going somewhere else like can really open doors but it's so hard when you don't it's not a guarantee you don't know that it's getting better you know you just know that like life is a struggle right now right. you know that yeah what you're doing is not working yeah so. and it's hard to get yourself out of a funk like if I oh, were in her yeah. shoes and I was just like no I'm not giving up on this city like I am determined and stubborn to make this yeah. work and someone's like hey like you don't <laughs> need to do <laughs> that yeah. yeah what are you doing <laughs> you know it's nice to have someone to kind of like wake you up exactly <laughs> you know? yeah and we all like need that I think recently sometimes I've been like saying sometimes I just like doing it the hard way like it's just like in my nature to like I want to do it the hard way to like prove that I can do it Mm -hmm. it's like not everything has to be a freaking struggle right (laughs) like uh, what are you being a hero for like for who you know yeah yeah totally like there's obviously benefit to like the grind and like yeah but like life is a grind right (laughs) like it's like it's not like oh I'm good just gonna take easy street like (laughs) yeah Oh no, uh, I just liked it. Yeah. And I learned at the end that she's a Capricorn. Oh, hey. yeah. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah. I was like, oh, I wonder I like you so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really resonate with this one. <laughs> I'm also a Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> one other note, which is culturally relevant, that I learned on Hot Ones. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> so, the dude who hosts Hot Ones, I don't know his name was like throwing a bunch of like dating terms at her or something and she like needed to define them mm. and one was kitten fishing which we were talking about catfishing last yeah. week uh-huh. and apparently kitten fishing is like a light form of catfishing on dating profiles <laughs> where you like put photos from like five years ago oh. or like lie about like something small to like you know get the matches and I was like oh interesting she was and she Issa was like I mean I'm into that (laughs) I mean we all do that in a small way I guess kitten fishing I know Mm -hmm. like oh that's relevant cat fishing good to know yeah Hmm. (laughs) noted no yeah he's like I'm gonna do that no 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 No, I was thinking about this <laughs> distinction between someone who's like, man, this hiking photo is like really good, but it's like from 10 years ago. And yeah. you're like, put it on versus someone who's like, I am pretending I'm 30 when I'm 40. You yeah. Know? And you're like, I don't uh. want people to know I'm bald. Here's a graduation. Oh, <laughs> the other reason it reminded me of you guys is the other part was like having a friend like text for you on the dating. Uh, uh, what? Like, uh, what are you talking yeah. about? Uh-huh. Like, no yeah. one does that. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> yeah. I like I get when you're like when you're online dating, there's so many people that can enter your hemisphere and you just get really tired of like, 
restarting small talk all the time. It is the same, same conversation. conversation. I mm. just want to, I need to spend some time to update my profile because everyone comments on the same, like, <laughs> two things. Mm. And I'm like, I'm tired of this, so I need to take yeah. it out. <laughs> right, and you're like, mix it up, and you're like, they don't know me. Like, yeah, I mean, it is, like, the most interesting part on my profile. Like, I get it, but I need to, like, mix it up because I'm tired of talking about my sewing machine. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, my fashion house has not opened yet, all right? Yeah. Move on. I got that over a year ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> my profile makes it seem like I got it for this uh, <laughs> for Christmas. I do like the idea of, like, updating your dating profile pictures regularly where you're, like, keeping it fresh, keeping it lively. <laughs> it's exhausting, though. It's yeah, so I bet. Oh, my God. I don't want to think about myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're trying to pick, like, you want to show yourself – and like who you are your interest but then you also want it to be like nice flattering photos and it's like how many of right. these do i have <laughs> but also like yeah i like to hike but i'm not like out there 20 miles every day mm-hmm. of the week right. like i want to show my hobbies but i'm not real crazy yeah <laughs> we okay bit of a tangent but we've talked about that before especially like in seattle and this may be true in other cities as well where I feel like there's like a whole community of people who are like the most active humans I've ever met in my life. And you want to be like, hey, this is super cool. You do this. But I'm like 50 percent the energy level of that. I know people who go hiking after work, which is impressive. Multiple times a week. Like I want someone who likes to be active, but I don't want that to be like their persona. Like I'm the active dude. Yeah. (laughs) I want to stay home sometimes. Yeah. It's like, it feels like such a 180 between like that and then like dude with like a bunch of like dogs and like their (laughs) cousins and like, I don't know. Like, Like, I don't mean to bash that. Yeah. I I want something in between, but it's hard to convey that and also gather that from someone else's profile. Because we're all trying to like be the best version of ourselves on there. Like, my best version of myself does hike every weekend. But the reality is I go, like, three times a year. Right. (laughs) But, like, showing that, like, the true, honest, how you live your day-to-day profile, like, you're not going to be, like, me on the couch again. Like, you know, like, me cleaning. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, (laughs) eight chips for dinner again. Yeah. (laughs) So are we dating or what? (laughs) Oh, it's hard. So it's rough out there. Anyway, that was yep. a major tangent. Yeah. But Y'all keep doing you. No shade. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, is a, there is a big, like, you know, dating theme in this book. So yeah. I feel like it's relevant. Mm. <laughs> and an insecure. Guys, if you have not seen Insecure, oh, do it. You need to get on there. That, so Lisa good. and Jamie got me started on it, and I was hooked immediately. So mm. I, yeah. I, <laughs> it's so good in so many ways. And I think it's just really nice, too, because it's so relatable. Um, you know, it's so in the moment and I don't feel like I'm trying to like force myself into like a traditional stereotype. I just like really appreciate media that's like love is really messy and then like talks about friendship and talks about job, like hits on so many different aspects. Yeah. And people are all multidimensional. Like you're not having like all these friends are one sided and just serving Issa. Like that's not the case. And that's mm-hmm. not life, you know? Definitely. Like, yeah. It feels just, very real. Like yeah. trying to figure out like what you want your job to be, like yeah. what you want your life to be. Like 
what friends you should keep and which you should like yes. walk away from and like, like struggles it's not all like yes. happy all the time you all aren't going through the same things all the time like yeah bit, yeah you know? like you're thriving but a friend's not and how to manage that or your yeah. friend's thriving and you're like really in a funk and how to manage <laughs> yeah. that oh. it is it feels very relatable a plus writing really it's, it's yeah mm-hmm. it's really really good I anyway, know. Uh, yeah, just we hoping for Isa. good things on the horizon for all of them. <laughs> yeah. Isa will be around, I'm sure of it. So mm-hmm. we'll just have to see what's next for yeah. her. Okay, switching gears. Yeah, <laughs> switch, switch, switch. All right. So I, full disclaimer, I have not finished this book. I have about a hundred thirty pages left. But That's guys, funny. she has been like binging this book i love this it's so good so it's called black buck and it's by mateo ashkaripur i'm going to apologize because i'm not exactly sure on the pronunciation but i have loved this book and a couple minutes before the show i realized this may be loosely based on his personal experience the authors Um, but uh, this book hooked me from the intro, and I'll I'll dive into it. But basically, the main character gets into sales, and so you get a lot of advice on like on being a good salesperson and stuff. And the intro is just high energy, just like every day is deals day. I am here to like find you the success that you are looking for, and Yikes. it's spoken like to. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's something that I like really want right now in my yeah. life of just like, yo, ambition. Do you hear me? Come on this train. And yeah. I'm like, let's, let's go. go. <laughs> <laughs> like, I read the intro and was like, next, let's go. <laughs> I'm Jumping in. In. I love Thank that. You. I haven't had a fiction book grab me yeah. in such a long time. And I think because it is very relatable and it's like listening to a real story, a true mm-hmm. nonfiction story. And it deals a lot with, yeah, personal ambition and success, code switching, and I don't just many topics. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I hear you. Okay, and it's really well written. It's funny. Apparently, the author meant it as like an earnest piece of work, but it is very satirical. <laughs> oh, and that's so, awesome. Yeah, I think it's kind of like a happy accident in a way. But okay, so Black Buck is about this guy who lives in New York. I think he lives in Brooklyn with his mom they're not necessarily middle class but they own their brownstone and so they've rented out some of the floors and they do enough to get by but his mom works at a Clorox factory and like she's kind Mm. of fragile she's like in the sense that she's older and obviously sick but it's just kind of played off as like she's just kind of she's making it work like she has to go to work and yeah she's like kind of like frail in a bit but she's like I'm fine I'm going in whatever yeah. just like strong woman Not letting anything enduring yeah yeah and like she has to to provide and so her son is his name is Darren Vender he's 22 and he was valedictorian at this like Brooklyn or something science school like this nice like magnet school but then didn't go to college and doesn't really get into it but you just kind of get the sense that Maybe it was like some family problems or like maybe he wasn't really believing in himself fully. Not entirely sure, okay. but he had like big promises. But you start the book off where he's at Starbucks and has been working there for four years and he has a black apron. So he's like there's different hierarchy in the apron. So black kind of signifies that you're a manager of 
sort. So I think he's like a shift manager. Am uh, I the only one who didn't know this? No. This was all new to me. Okay. <laughs> Laura's like nodding her head like, of course, the aprons. And I'm like, No, I didn't. No, know that. Just like, no I didn't um, know that. I was just yeah. like, oh, I guess that oh, makes okay. sense. Like, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, green is what? like barista. Like, new, like you're kind of like, that's like I mean, the general we, level. We generally only see green. Yeah. Like, yeah. because that's who's working. Yeah. Well, apparently there's a purple apron too. This is not relevant to the story, but that's like clearly I've not been to Starbucks. They're probably well, they're probably just they're not like working the register. Okay. Which and we see the register drinks. Okay. Okay. We Um, see the (laughs) breeze. Like show me that purple apron, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just Um, walk into the kitchen and find some of this purple apron. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so he is really good at his job, and he has three people that work for him, like the regular shift. And they all have a really good dynamic, and he's kind of the boss for that shift and does a great job. Anyway, this guy comes in every day. He works, I think he works at, like, 3 Park Avenue. So he's, like, in Manhattan near a bunch of, like, you know, very Damn. busy, yeah. like, <laughs> entrepreneurs, business people, just, like, corporate America. And so he sees this one guy all the time. He knows a, a, a number of their, like, a number of the people who come in regularly, he knows their drink orders, but... This guy he knows pretty well, but the other guy like, doesn't know him at all because he's not giving him the time right. of day. Yeah. And so one day, by like a twist of fate, he gets this impulse to recommend a different drink to him. Like he can kind of like sense the guy's energy and he's like, I think you actually, you get this all the time. That's your regular, but I think you really want this one. And he ends up selling him on it and the guy's like, interesting. Here's my card. Come talk to me like when you're done with your shift. Oh, wow. And long story short, he's like, I want you to come work for me. I see potential in you. Come work this sales job. I mm. will show you things, you know, like. I will show you the world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, paraphrasing a bit. <laughs> come with me, Aladdin. Yeah. <laughs> magic carpet comes out. <laughs> and everyone's like, don't trust that guy. I'll <laughs> get away from him now. What the fuck? <laughs> everybody and at first he's not interested in it he's like i don't know this guy i don't know weirdo guy just gave you a job and he keeps talking about like just waiting for an opportunity but then this like seemingly golden opportunity comes and he's like nah i don't i don't think that's the right call for me and everyone encourages him to do it and by everyone i mean like his mom it's kind of like uncle that's basically like a friend that's basically an uncle family guy his girlfriend just like his like community it's like you gotta take this like that's go for it you know like we see great potential in you and so he's like okay I'll do it for all of them you know and so he goes through basically hazing the first week it's like a hell week where they're training to see if him and the other people that are starting at the company can survive or not oh yeah so nightmare oh it's terrible so they i mean he is getting like macro and microaggressions up the wazoo like the first day a he's like a minute late to the meeting and gets like reamed out in front of everybody but then like you get all these different i i don't know micro and macro aggressions where like the guy who's the lead of sales and is kind of training them is actively trying to make this guy 
angry. So instead of calling him like Darren, he calls him like Daron and like tries to like play up stereotypes. Is he the only black guy? He's Darren? the only black guy in the company. The rest of oh, like, the whole company? Oh, of the my whole God. company. He walks in first day and is like, it's all white people. It's wow. just white people. And like everybody at home oh, is like, yo, like watch out. Like stay true to who you are. Don't mess with these white people. Like, you know, like just yeah. re- remember. And one of his best friends is like, yeah, like just watch out because like soon you're going to be like them. And he's like, it's not going to be like that. I'm going to be me, you know. And you see him very slowly in the book. Like he's code switching to the point that he has like taken on like just Mm -hmm. a completely different personality, like all these different kind of stereotypical corporate white sales guy like personality traits Ew. yeah like <laughs> he gets really aggressive and it's just like he's good at his job but you just see in the book that he i guess arrogant is the right term like i don't want to bash him but it, like he just gets more and more defensive against anyone giving him any negative criticism mm-hmm. and you can see just this like really unfortunate like change in him but he's also at the same time really successful in his work and is climbing in that regard. And so in the book so far, you see like you see this contrast between the first week where like he doesn't even want to be there. He just wants to go home, not put up with all the shit and like all the just like full on discrimination he's getting and like working twice as hard and getting told like he's failing and mm-hmm. stuff and just wants to go back to his family, you know, and you see in the morning like he has this routine of checking in on people as he's heading to the subway and that slowly goes away, you know, and he is getting more confident in himself, but he's just kind of drank the Kool-Aid that this startup that he started working for is feeding him. And so people are trying to like help him. You can just see by the time people are like, we're, the community is like trying to come together to help him like see what's happening, try to kind of like pull the real Darren out. Oh, and by the way, like he gets, call everyone got a nickname the first day and he gets called buck for starbucks and at first he hates it and then he just grows to embody it it becomes like his persona as a salesperson Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. but you just see like there there are a lot of themes at play here and now granted i'm not through the book yet but you know he is like he's pulling away from family from people he loves from people he's grown up with but the whole reason he got into it was like to make them proud, to provide for his mom. And so it just like touches on those themes of what people go through to try to reach success and mm-hmm. what that can look like and how like at this point in the book too, he's fully detached from his old self. He's like, that dude's gone. I'm here. I'm not going back. Like this is who I am now. And that's not necessarily a problem, but it's like, it's just hard when you see I mean I don't know I th- like it's hard to see that because like there's so many signifiers in the book like he never drank coffee or alcohol beforehand and at this point in the book he's had a lot of success and he's like not only drinking regularly but like mm-hmm. snorting cocaine multiple times a day and yeah. drinking coffee regularly and those by themselves don't necessarily necessitate a problem but it's just like oh dude like yeah you can feel that we're at the point in the story in his character arc where he's kind of like swung way far away from home base Mm -hmm. yeah and we're starting to reach a point where maybe he's coming back where he's he's trying to teach one of his former employees 
sales and he's like really like not off to a good start but he has this moment where he really connects with him and learns how to teach him not in the fear-based way that he learned from all his like white counterparts but in a way that really works with his friend to make him kind of see his potential and work with yeah. his skill set and I think that's starting to trigger in his mind what he could potentially use with the gifts that he has mm -hmm. so it's really good and really relatable on many levels. But one thing that really hits home, especially right now for me, is just with work and the culture of brainwashing is a big term, but just the kind of the hazing and the different ways that you are conditioned the in like different companies. Think yeah. Thing. And like, so there's this guy, Simon Sinek. And he's this motivational speaker. I don't know his full bio. Uh, we can link him in the show notes. But there are a lot of companies that are turning to him and his philosophies for advice. I had a coworker describe him as kind of just like the white guy version of Brene Brown. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. And so I w watched this video and he was talking about like developing this idea that your whole company can rally behind that they may never even reach like this goal they may never even reach but they're so motivated by it that they'll sacrifice their time and then oh what? yeah no right nope. right red flags tons of red flags immediately but there are people that are like yeah that's a great idea and companies that are like that's a great idea and i'm like this doesn't sound wow. healthy this, that sounds you know? like a bad idea it sounds yeah. like a cult really yeah. bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and that's like, oh, my God, I didn't even really touch on the startup that he works for. But that's you get that sense. And I know like there are a number of startups that kind of fall into that bucket mm -hmm. where you're, you're really trying to rally people because there may not be any income or, you know, yeah. you're a startup. You don't have the reputation to be like, you know, we're a company with a years of service and whatever. And so it's like, what, what do we have? We have a dream. We have a goal together. And so there's so many startups that go that way. Or, you know, kind of like channel employees and motivate them that way. But then there's a huge lack of professionalism. I mean, this guy gets like, like assaulted and yelled at and like verbally abused Jesus constantly. Christ. And instead of that becoming like a big HR nightmare, he just ends up kind of taking on on and dealing with it, you know? Wow. Yeah. Which I think also really speaks to being a person of color in a predominantly white space and just like in corporate America too, where there's so many times that people are just like, I just, I'm in survival mode and I just have to make this work. It's not right, but like HR doesn't see it. Who am I gonna try to explain this to? Like people are, I'm getting minimized when I try to like yeah. say anything, you know, so. Mm. Ah. Good. <laughs> it's very I good. Read this. I'm so glad oh. that it like captivated me so too. Quickly. Me too. And I have to say too. So they're little instead of like where you'd have like quote bubbles, they're little blips that are like sales tips or like, hey, this is a thing. Like one tip I've learned. I I've found this educational oh, on a different them. level too. Oh, I like that. But one thing I learned, he was saying in sales, you're either selling someone on yes or they're selling you on no. There's no in between. And I've never heard that before. And I kind of get it where if you're having a conversation with someone and you're trying to like explain to them a service that you'd like to sell to them, like you're either kind of explaining to them why it would be great or they're basically trying to explain to you why they're not interested. Yeah, that's and true. 
Yeah. And so I feel like there's a nice layer of insight here in sales that I think applies to how you act in a professional setting as well. Like it's good life advice. Hmm. So it's like having the story, but also having some kind of coaching and guidance along the way. Interesting. Mm. It's rock solid. Really into this. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, guys. It's a goal of mine this year to like add more diverse authors Mm. into my Mm -hmm. reading list and yeah I think unfortunately at least in my own reading list like white authors are the default and I'm like Mm. trying harder to like Mm -hmm. diversify that it's like unfortunate that you have to try to do that Mm. but yeah like a good excuse that's an interesting like homework for people to do because I honestly don't know I don't pay a lot of attention to the authors of the books I read which like I probably you know should but then when I do really look at it yeah that would be interesting to go back like look at the last 10 books I read yeah not including this one which you know was picked out purposely for a black author and just like see yeah what the dynamic I definitely do like read black authors and other like minority group authors for sure but like I'm trying harder to read more. yeah like it's good to read people's work that are not like you yeah like I'm for sure (laughs) totally like that's the point of reading for me is like open myself up to like other ideas and other worlds yeah and only reading from people who look exactly like me is not super helpful yeah totally great to have a diversity of voices definitely Mm. yeah it's cool to hear about other books that were not on my radar yeah (laughs) same (laughs) like jamie's always bringing it with the mysteries and i'm like whoa (laughs) yeah i know what i like definitely but i I totally hear you (laughs) one of the books you brought up recently lauren um oh shoot what was it transcendent kingdom yeah Yeah. there's just so many different and very rich ways that people can tell their story or tell stories about different perspectives and it just really helps enliven the multitude of human experiences you know yeah like yeah you just you end up when you're just watching tv now granted people are working on changing this but like historically you just get these really monotone characters Mm -hmm. and you get only like a couple people of color per show or quote unquote no one will watch it which is bullshit but you just you miss out on so many stories that like just don't make it to a tv screen definitely yeah Yeah. agreed and just because like we don't look the same we didn't have a similar upbringing doesn't mean you can't find some like wisdom there or something relatable like yeah our upbringings were totally different but we still felt like a similar feeling of like not fitting in like granted those looked very different but still a human experience and a human feeling and i can relate to someone in that way yeah yeah exactly totally agree because I know like you know you have all these white authors get to be in whatever genre and it's not like other like authors of color like can't but it's like oh you're gonna be like women you're gonna be in like women's books you know and then like yeah you know and it's like oh black stories you're gonna be in like like a black story genre and it's like yeah that's great if someone is like I specifically want this you know point me to that yeah but it's so limiting at the same time it's like why is like the white audience like get everything and then like I have to fit into like a sub genre you know exactly yes exactly yeah 
Mm. Anyway. Anyway. Happy Black History Month. We hope you find some good literature to check out. Get some educating going. (laughs) Yeah. So many good TV shows, movies Mm. to watch. Watch Mm -hmm. Insecure. YouTube. (laughs) Yeah. There's a whole wide world out there Mm -hmm. that's not made by white people. Thanks for making it all the way through this crazy episode. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend or send us a DM. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Rate us, like us, follow us. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good week, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Links from today's episode can be found in the show notes on our website, whatchareadanddo.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have anything that piqued your interest this week or that you want to share, email us at wrdpod at gmail.com. Maybe we'll feature you on the pod. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts and also on Instagram at wrdpod. Follow us to stay up to date on future episodes. Like, leave a review, tell a friend. You get the idea. Music for this podcast is created by Kalindo. Find him on Instagram at The Real Kalindo. Stay inspired and we'll see you next time.